Hello, welcome back to the EP Plug Me In podcast. I'm your host, EP The Mime, and this is episode two. We're going to be starting from the moment that I got home back to Tracy, California, from my first stint in Los Angeles, Glendale, California, to be exact, and what I did musically when I got home. I made some very common mistakes that maybe you can learn from. But I'm also going to be extremely real with you about one of the worst things that ever happened to me on this musician's journey. Just keep in mind, I'm burying my heart here. So if you're joining me for the second episode, thank you for plugging me. All right, all right. So as I was going through my Facebook timeline, I saw a lot about myself that I had forgot. A lot of things that I did, songs that I that I recorded while I was in Glendale and right when I got home. We left around summertime. We actually always left around summertime. Once the tax money came in, me and my wife were usually planning a trip back to Los Angeles every single time that we had a return in our bank account. So I'm looking at my Facebook timeline, and I'm going to use this as reference because I went back through my own memory without this and um, realized that I had done so much music that I started to really lose track of when in which year each song happened. (laughs) So I'm using this as reference. I'm seeing right here that January 19, 2012 was, uh, I released a track called Living, Breathing, Dreaming. I did uh, N-Words in Paris. Me and my brother Aaron did that. That is something that I highly advise against in the beginning stages. I think it's good for you to learn how to figure out melody and figure out style, but if you're spending most of your time trying to fit on tracks that are already out under a famous artist, that's not really helping you in the realm of uh, finding your original sound. It's kind of just teaching you how to do exactly what they're doing. It's really just mimicking vocals. It's not necessarily learning anything. It's kind of a waste of time, but nevertheless, I did this myself. I also had a couple other tracks, Wishful Thinking, which my wife made a vocal debut on there being the girl in the song thoughts of the rain which was super popular with my friends here is a mention of the whole lot of love cover that i did with rocky it's right here june 18th 2012 then i came back home around summertime that's the story that i referenced in the first story when rocky walked out the door when we were moving back home i came home and i met up with tino super fast i'm seeing here in august that i put up a Jason Mraz cover of his song I Won't Give Up. It's that track that came out back then. And then this song, Doing It Wrong by Drake off of the Take Care album. Which, here's a little something to look out for. November 12th is the 10 year anniversary of Drake's Take Care album. And it will also be a day that I'm going to take an opportunity to do a cover of this track because it's the 10 year anniversary of me putting this cover out. So I'll be doing another cover of Doing It Wrong by Drake. And Tino is going to be redoing his Freaks and Geeks remix that he did from that time, which was crazy iconic for him, as well as Mitch will most likely be doing a remix of Over My Dead Body by that album, too. So look out for that. If we follow through on that, that's going to be really, really cool. We're planning for that. But yes, Doing It Wrong by Drake was one of my first covers that I put out. It's actually one of the first R&B tracks that I recorded, too, with Tino. My voice was not yet in my control at that time. I had a hard time connecting proper breathing to my scene. I also did a rock bottom Eminem remix and a no lie remix by 2 Chains. I did uh, They Reminisce Over You. That was a good one. I, I wish I had all these songs. I was a, I was stupid and I deleted all these tracks because I was tired of seeing them. <laughs> so if anyone out there listening to this has any of these tracks, please send them to me. 
get in contact with me, send me those tracks because I am looking for them. I did a Say Hello to Heaven, Temple of the Dog cover, which is the supergroup of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. They sang that song for the lead singer of Mother Love Bone. So these songs are very important to my first performance. I actually went to the Impresso Cafe in Stockton, California with my friend Tino, who I've been friends with since I was five years old. Tino is the guy who was recording me at this time. He was a very big part of this time. I came back home and I was working three jobs at JCPenney, McDonald's, and Wingstop. I would end up losing the McDonald's job just because I was getting really tired of working at McDonald's. I got fired from JCPenney and I stuck with Wingstop. But one day when I got fired, the day that I got fired, I walked over and saw Tino at Tilt, the arcade in the mall that he was working at, and I told him that I got fired. (laughs) Shortly after that, we started working on music a lot more. But the first couple tracks that I was proud of that I was running with were remixes. I did not take time to write my own songs yet. I did not take time to write my own sound. When it came to singing, I was mainly just writing rap songs. I Won't Give Up and Doing It Wrong would be two songs that I would promote the most out of those tracks. I actually sang I Won't Give Up, Everything by Michael Buble, and then Say Hello to Heaven at my first open mic show. The first two went great, the last one, my guitar playing was all over the place because I hadn't played guitar and sung live before, and it was my first live performance, so I actually just stopped playing guitar altogether and sang the rest of the track a cappella. Tino told me before my first performance, it's either going to go very well or it's not going to go well at all, and it was going well, and then it just didn't. That was a very memorable first experience, but the first two went good. And Tino killed it. That's why his name is Tino Killed It. Doing music with Tino at this time would be something that would benefit me greatly in these days. Because when I came home, I came home with a microphone that was gifted to me by Rocky. But I didn't have the rest of the recording equipment. Nor did I have my brother who was primarily the person who was recording all of my stuff at this time. It wasn't me that was doing it. I was learning how to do it piece by piece, but he was mainly in control of that area. So coming home without that, without Rocky's gear or without Aaron in general... I had to rely on somebody else and I eventually just relied completely on Tino. Tino is a battle rapper as well as an all-around well-rounded artist and his bars, his writing style and his rapping persona would push me to great lengths in that time because I always felt like I was under him in skill of rapping. So I didn't necessarily try to add my hat in to being a fellow rapper around him. I was more focused on trying to be well-rounded with my singing and rapping because I wanted to make a transition into only singing, but I was focusing too much on trying to be a rock singer and occasionally singing pop and R&B tracks that were trendy. I needed to give up the rock singing and I needed to focus more on my rapping, which is what I started doing after those covers and more after that first performance because I felt after that first performance that I probably would have felt a little more confident if I would have done a rap song that I was comfortable with. But I wasn't interested in being perceived as a rapper. I was interested in being perceived as a singer. And that is just super confusing when you're trying to come out as an artist or a musician. You have to be focused on creating a sound so it can be recognized. Even till this day, I still do multi-genres. But I make sure that my production value and my layering of my voices and the way that I approach each track becomes my sound. That's just something that I do. When I was doing music in 2012, I was just following what Tino was doing, what I was doing, and trying to figure out some originality on the way. Also, if that is what you're trying to do in the beginning, which most musicians are trying to do that in the beginning, find an originality and finding their own unique sound, 
it most likely isn't the best idea to be focusing on remixes. Just saying. So I would start working on this mixtape that was called Going Hollywood for my first persona, Ace Hollywood. And it was about me killing Alex, my who I really who who I am, my birth name, you know. It was me killing myself and becoming this persona and going Hollywood. I guess selling out or selling my soul or whatever. That was the point of that that no matter what I was gonna do next, I was gonna go until the end of me to make it. So I wrote this concept album that was kind of autobiographical. It, each track was supposed to represent a period in my life. Like the first track was A Star Is Born. And that was literally about where my parents were when I was born. And then it was Leah's Revenge, which was a song about my mom. In her younger years, being a single pregnant teen, she was 15 years old when she had me. So it, it was about her having me. And then there would be a song come out called Judgment Day and then Lost at a Setting Sun. And these were just, it was me growing up in the mixtape. But here's something that I want to put as a, as a disclaimer. I want you to understand this. This was supposed to have two tracks at the end that were going to end out the project. And I never got those tracks recorded. I never even put the project out with those tracks on it. No one's heard it. That's a common mistake that musicians make a lot these days. They get too impatient and they put things out that are unfinished because they want people to hear it. But almost every single time you don't get the results that you wanted and you actually feel like you should have waited. So you should always wait. In this instance, I did not. I was too focused on trying to get past a phase in my musical career i was trying to get past a skill level that i was just focusing on output so i was doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff as i was doing this mixtape i wrote the hook for a track that my friend mitch who i also met in that time for the first time who was close friends with tino who would show up in the garage where tino would have his studio set up and we would all hang out and we would all work on music mitch wasn't that serious at that time but he was trying to become more serious so he had this track called didn't really matter and it was like a Drake style track. It was actually my first music video and one of his first serious ones. I wrote the hook for that and it became a new avenue for me to express myself in. Having that experience doing a music video later on was an awesome experience too. We got to spend the whole day in San Francisco shooting everywhere. We shot at Coit Tower. We shot at MJC in Modesto. We also shot at a good friend of both of ours, Eric Kaufman, in his girlfriend's apartment in Modesto. Also a memorable day because my friend Manuel was there and we all ate some edibles. He got higher than his expectation and was going through that whole entire party like that. As did the videographer because they were hotboxing the bathroom that we were filming in. <laughs> musicians and their vices it makes everything super interesting but it also makes it hard for you to remember the experience but hey that's just what happens that was part of the experience and that's just part of the musical journey nothing you can do to change it now but i look back at it and i think it's hilarious i think it's funny because uh everybody there was willing to go through that it just goes to show you if you put music in an environment and you make it feel like something's happening even though they didn't take Mitch super serious at that time, it was still an environment where things that weren't necessarily normal for everyday life were normal just for the time that we were filming. I released that first mixtape around August in 2013. So 2012 would be the year of remixes for me. That was the year where I started recording with Tino Moore, where I was basically licking my wounds after Glendale. 
I was trying to remain independent. Me, my wife, and my sister-in-law lived in an apartment in our hometown because we didn't want to go back home. I needed an area to record, and they needed an area to have independence. We all just wanted independence, and we knew that even though we were back at home, we couldn't go back to living with family. We had to maintain something that was in our control, which was our independence. So I got to go and come when I wanted to, and I also had an area to record. Did I use it to record? No, as I was busy spending my time trying to record with Tino. That's another common mistake. You should always try to be self-sufficient. Eventually, I would have to be self-sufficient. I would have to learn how to do this process because I wouldn't have Tino to help me at certain parts, and I needed to be able to trust myself that I can make those decisions on my own and not have to rely on someone else. It could save you money, too, down the line because you don't have to pay someone to record you and mix and master your stuff because you can do it yourself unless you want to pay for it then that's your choice but being self-sufficient can help you grow as a musician even if you aren't necessarily using that skill every time you turn on the microphone where was i at at this time though i was doing too much trying to be patient and be calculated about what you really want what you want is money what you want is a career what you want is to secure opportunity what you want isn't to get the people around you to like you i mean the people in your hometown are less inclined to like you because you're normal to them you don't present any big picture idea to them even if you are performing at coachella in the summer they don't know who you are on a daily basis and they aren't introduced into their lives like the people that they look up to so until you get to radio Till you get on those big name playlists, until you get on that YouTube video, until your song gets used for that commercial, until you get on the Billboard Top 100, until you're performing on stage at the VMAs, until you make Best New Artist, until you win a Grammy, until you get plaques and you got pictures and you got this new house that you bought for your family, until you do that, these people would never believe you. So it should almost not matter what they think in the beginning. It should be what the people who are going to pay you and get you those opportunities and get you that help that's going to get you in front of the whole world. Because if, if you if you want to think about it from a big perspective and a simpler perspective, have you ever heard of the song Gangnam Style by Psy? That song was not big because it was a great song. It was a good enough song to be put in front of the whole world, though. It was about the amount of eyes that were on it. Once one person seen it, you had to see what another person thought about it. It was just the amount of attention that it got. It wasn't whether or not they were good. It wasn't whether or not he was good. It wasn't whether or not it was the best song ever. It wasn't whether or not it deserved to be where it was at or it deserved to get what it was getting. It was about how many eyes were on it. You had multiple countries that were listening to this track. And I know that they listen to American-made tracks as well. But when one of your own does something, it goes crazy. And it's just the amount of eyes. That's why a lot of people in America are promoting over there to Asia. Because having a wide scope of your music is better than trying to convince the people that are living where you're at now. Did I know any of this back then? No, I was just focusing on trying to be exactly like Drake on a track, exactly like Jason Mraz on a track, exactly like Tino on a track, exactly like Michael Jackson or exactly like Frank Ocean or trying to do my best Kendrick impression. There wasn't much unique quality to what I was doing. It was just trying to fit a mold to try and figure out what I could and could not do. I think I would have benefited more from having these songs for me and myself to listen to because I don't think that there was any great feedback that made me feel better or worse about what I was doing in this time. It was kind of just people listening to it and saying, hey, it doesn't suck, you know, hey, keep going. It wasn't 
groundbreaking though. But there were people in that time, our age, who were writing groundbreaking songs. Our standards were just a little too low, and our idea of what needed to be done was just a little too skewed. Was it our fault? No. Is it something to hold against myself and them? No. It's just a growing pain of trying to figure the game out. This was just the second year of my 10-year journey. But it was also the year that was butted up in between another attempt at going to L.A. Eventually, what would happen is I would get tired of being in Tracy and another refund was coming soon from the taxes and I wanted to plan another trip to Los Angeles. So I was talking to my brother a lot about doing music and I would visit occasionally. We started recording this mixtape, the Going Hollywood mixtape, and eventually we would get to a point where we would finish that and start moving on to other things. And I would want to move down to Los Angeles again, as would my wife. She was doing modeling things when she was here with her brother. His brand was starting to get pretty noticed, and she would benefit from that by trying to find work in the L.A. area. So we decided eventually we would wait for that tax return. We would get our, our ducks in a row, and we would move to Los Angeles again. Before we would do that, we would get married, though. So we would move to Los Angeles the second time as a married couple for the first time and we would be sleeping on a mattress at my dad's place when I got there it was very uncomfortable to be in the middle of the living room with my brothers walking over me and my stepmother and my dad and it was it was almost embarrassing too but it wasn't the most embarrassing part I would work at Buffalo Wild Wings and my wife would work at Claire's in Orange it was actually in Garden Grove I would live with my dad and my brothers there in Los Angeles and leave our families again behind in Tracy, California. When we got there, the only thing that I was focusing on was just trying to make it. But you know what the funny thing is? I would sit down in the living room over there and I would not know what I was supposed to do. I was trying once again to figure out how to do something that I hadn't properly planned for. All I did was record maybe 20 tracks in that year, in, in, in that, year that I lived back home. And think that I was ready to come make another attempt. Did it happen again? No, it actually did not happen again. I would get too busy trying to make enough money to support me and my wife now. And she would be doing the same thing. Eventually, we would move into our own place in Fullerton. And this is the thing that I was referencing to in the outro of the last episode, the first episode. We were living in a dope house. There was these two people that were selling marijuana, various things out of the house. And there was some really, really dangerous people that would come over with like machetes on their back. And they would pop open a brick of marijuana. And this guy would be walking around barefooted. He'd look like a killer. Um, our roommates were doing hard drugs all the time. We had this guy overdose in the next room. We were in the back of this house and it faced the bottom of a freeway so it was not a nice view and we were just so depressed in that time my wife would go through a lot of personal problems at that time and we would not be able to fall on our feet our first outing on our own in Fullerton I was trying to write music but I can just honestly tell you I was too depressed from this situation that I was in to even push into anything I would hang out with Rocky a couple of times while I was there and we would record these two tracks and I had a lot of hope and he was providing me with an opportunity that had some hope attached to it we were trying again to work together and we created these two hip-hop tracks that were really cool and it brought my spirits up but it, w it wouldn't work out once again and it would just be an experience of recording two good songs with Rocky again, which I'm grateful for, but it wasn't much help to what actually needed to be done in my life. And what I was actually going through 
as a man, as somebody's husband and as a musician that was obviously failing. So I would find myself in a really sad predicament and trying to figure out what I was going to do next in my life. Nothing would eventually work out for me. So again, I would have to ask for help from my family to come back home because our situation was getting so desperate and getting so dire that we weren't able to stay there anymore. This is actually a time where I started to contemplate suicide a lot and I got really, really unhappy with myself and I decided that maybe the world would be a lot better place if I wasn't here. I was driving home from work one day and when I was at work, I hadn't eaten that day. I hadn't eaten for like a couple of days and there was an order that was late. My manager at Wingstop that I was working at there noticed that I was a little weak and he said, hey, what's wrong? And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just I just need to take a break. And he said, all right. He said, do you eat today? And I was like, no, I actually haven't eaten. And he said, oh, OK. And he said, man, you, you, you did you forget your lunch? And I was like, no, I didn't. I just don't have any food right now. And he stopped and looked at me and he gave me that guy's meal and he told me to go eat it. And I sat there at the table in the back and I cried as I ate it. And uh, me and my wife were having to steal like paper towels from the gas station to use as toilet paper. We were having to uh, scrounge up the change that we had in order to go get like a hot dog at the Costco that was down the street. I barely had any gas to get around. I barely had any gas to get to the job that I was I was at. I felt like this was the end. I felt like I had failed and this was the bottom and there was no way that I was getting out of this. And it would be better if my wife kind of just lost me and went back home and got taken care of by her family and I would just, you know, put this person out of his misery and I would end my existence. <laughs> and uh, I don't mean to speak so calmly about this, but you don't have to agree with this next statement that I make, but I would give my life to Christ and I would create a relationship with God. It worked for me and it still does work for me. And at that point in my life, it's all I had. I had nothing else. Nothing I was doing was working. This attempt at trying to be this person that I believed that I needed to be because I was good at music. And at the time, music just didn't matter. It was putting food in my belly. It was getting back home. And it was trying to rebuild this life with my wife. But drugs would play a really big play in that. And it would prevent me from staying clean. It would prevent me from thinking clearly. Yeah, I had this relationship with God and everything like that. But I really wasn't ready to throw certain parts about myself away. And it would get in the way of music and life. But like everything that I have gone through in my life, I find a way through it. Yeah, I walk away with some scars and some burns, but you know what, man? Life has tried to take me out a couple times. This was uh, probably the biggest one that happened to me because I still can't think about it and find good things in it. It was just one of those things that you had to go and learn a trial by fire. So, And it reminds me until this day of who I was at that time, of who I was be becoming by trying to chase this dream that really was putting my wife through the ringer and it was putting my marriage now through the ringer so that's something to keep in mind it's not just about you and a lot of times when you think it's going to work out it most often doesn't i would take a musical turn i would start to try to figure out a way to put faith into my music and it wouldn't work out I mean, you know, and it, it's something that I had to walk away from and that I, I, that I don't do now because I realized what it was doing to younger kids that weren't necessarily ready for the types of conversations that I was having yet. Because, you know, I, I had grown um, up in a religious family, but 
through my adulthood years, I had completely accepted I was an atheist. So now being a musician, it almost I almost felt like I had to do that. I felt like I felt like this is what I had to do. But that wasn't the truth. I, I, I chose to make it about that. I could have wrote from many perspectives that had nothing to do with that belief. But I would spend the next year or two trying to make that work in areas where there was no way that it would work. And that's another mistake. And it's a, it's a learning lesson. All these mistakes aren't, aren't mistakes to make you feel like you're doing something wrong, but they are things to learn from. I, I would make music be the vehicle that had to reflect the most important part of me. And this was such a new part of who I was. I've, I could I only felt that I had to write about it. But that wasn't the game that I was trying to play. That wasn't my goal. That wasn't what I was trying to use music for. It was just what I felt like I had to do. No one told me I had to do it, but I blocked myself and held myself back by giving myself no other option, which you should never do to your music. It's precious. It should be about whatever is on your heart, not not tailored and in, in, in 100% tied down to something that has to trump everything. I, I still personally practice what I believe in my personal life, but I just don't spend my time feeling bad if I don't write a song about my faith every single time I set the pen to the page or I set up the mic to record. So that year would end up being anticlimactic, but it would end up being important going forward. It would end up almost meaning everything to me. Because going back home after Fullerton, after Santa Ana not working out and having that year and Tracy trying to do the performances and the remixes and working with Tino and having that time with Rocky and getting to where I was when I came home after the second time, they would almost be like these little blips, but they would still hold many lessons that we would use from then on. The biggest takeaways that I would take from that period of time was the necessity of needing to be my own audio engineer. It was becoming more and more important that I would need the laptop, I would need all the gear, and I would need to man it myself. And that's exactly what I would do when I would come home and start this new musical journey. Now, I actually want to leave you with one of the tracks that I wrote, and it's the track that's about Fullerton. So this is the track that I wrote about that time that would come on the album that I would put out in my third attempt going to Los Angeles. I want to thank you very much for checking this out. I want to thank you very much for listening to the first episode and for sitting through this second episode. And when we get to the third one, it will be the time where I joined a hip-hop group from Compton where I released my second album and I worked on the most music in one period that I've ever worked on. And it was very memorable, but it was also very short and it would also lead to where I started after that that would lead to where I am now. Thank you so much for checking this out, and as always, stay plugged in. EP, plug me in. EP, plug me in. Mm. You never know what you were in until God takes you out of it. Word. You know how it feels to know why you're not happy. You know how it feels to know why you're in pain. Tell me right now, look at me straight in my eyes. Sideways blend, you're too afraid to be surprised. Yeah. 
It's your fault, all blame to my quartet Four different versions of myself inside of this orbit Sink all of my ships, we ain't even left the port yet Took me a marriage in 25 years to absorb it all Looking in the mirror, crying God, who is that man? This dog's a can to ask the dog for the cat scan yeah. And I know why you're afraid, I know why I know why you're afraid, don't you know why Love me not, me not love, but so savvy Wipe away the tears and tell I'm so happy I'm yeah. so happy, because I made it out It was the worst time of my life, I can say now I lost two best friends, my landlord selling out of the house The guy in the next room, heroin overdose It was around me for that time, my wife was giving a Bible I got so mad and told God, you taking my wife, bro I remember my grandmother said it was hers, not mine Because every time she handed me one Said I was fine. I can't believe that was me. Hitting green every day like an athlete. Oh, but that was me. Working at Wingstop, money for lunch. Had to steal food until dude. My manager outed me and made me stop. Said Alex, you slurring, what's up? Said I hadn't eaten in about a week. Damn. Handed me an order, made me go out of my lunch I cried about it the whole drive home But if I drive on, just leave her there with the dog I hated that guy, bro, I was that guy, bro She was patient and loving everything that we suffered But all I wanted to do was write a song and smoke with my brother's music is so cliche But it breaks up things every day It's what I used to sound like, here I am Sipping on the floor with a wife that I just married Demons creeping out of the closets Cause I grew up without a father, excuse me, they said I have it good I got father figures, yeah. use that for a ponder Which means the real thing I have it held is an honor Happiness, you gotta earn that stuff You know that bridge that we had, yeah burn that stuff And all the times that we led, last time you heard that stuff I hope you remember the sand, cause as far as I'm concerned that's it That was it I'm broke, with no food, no smiles, and no mood Just a rap, I'm an old dude, new me you were old, you. Everything happens for a reason. Easy for you to say. I just kinda got slime. But if I had an AK, I'd shoot myself in the face and watch it all waste away. That's your cue, say the day. God, that's your cue, say the day. I used to write like that. Used to let things go on in my mind like that. Used to sleep and I cried like that. Get angry and I would treat my wife like that. I don't know what the hell happened to me. Don't know what the hell happened to me. I'm searching for bulletin. I know that I'm full of it. I'm searching for bulletin. I thought about pulling it. Yeah. I'm searching for bulletin. Cause I remember those kids. Had a wound in my heart and my love came through and it closed it. Yeah. There's something about the Lord's grace Where he takes you out of a problem That you made and he tells you that he gon' solve it But still find a million ways to prove that it's you who got it <laughs> But I know it don't God got it So when me and my wife herded each other from firefighting He gave us a way out, way out, but he said stop running I'm taking her, you ain't winning it No, nah, Alex, no, nah, Alex Okay, I'm done fighting you if you taking her, then fine I'm going where she going, man Cause she been by my side I had no money, no hope, no love But you gave us this rope up Man, 
you're still keeping me alive you even gave me my wife so it's only fair that i gave you my life it was yours all along alex is dead now i am your servant i'm going to take the step down because i could be in for the time